0: Just because your people are not doing it exactly like you would, let it go and just be okay with that. And just recognize that they're doing it differently and it's totally okay for that to happen.
1: Welcome to the Culture Builders Podcast. We interview people leaders about how they're building a culture that fosters employee growth. I'm your host, Cassie Ait, the founder and CEO here at Hopier. All right, hello Megan and welcome to the Hopier podcast uh, and where we we talk to leading culture builders from around the world. Why don't you start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself?
0: Sure. Thanks. Thanks, Cassie. Thanks for having me. So um, I've been working in HR for about 22 years now, and um, culture has just been something that's really important to me. Obviously, it's important to HR, but um, for me, in my experience, it really sets the tone of a company. And I think it's so tied to that company's success, that it's something that you've got to do right. So when I heard about your project, I was super excited to to sort of be part of it and, and have a chance to talk to you.
1: So you've been the uh, chief HR officer at CanAxis for about 12 years now. How did you get into leading people and, and tell us about your journey?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So I, I don't think I ever set out to lead people, actually. I, I, it wasn't a goal of mine. Um, but when I've been asked this question in the past, I think Back and I think I think about you know being a kid. I think about being in school and, and doing school projects, and I just always naturally um, I like to get stuff done. I like to make decisions, and for whatever reason, people follow me. So I just sort of fell into leadership a little bit. It wasn't something I intended to do, but um, so it, I didn't set out to lead people. Um, but it's been a really really great journey, and um, part of it I think is just. You know, I've worked for companies that are startups, lots of startups, I've worked for publicly traded companies, and I think a big part of that um, leadership is just um, having the faith in yourself that you can do it, even if you don't know that you can. So a lot of times in my career, I was offered to do different roles, different jobs, and I had no idea if I could actually do them or not. But I think if you're, you know, if you're resourceful and and you're hardworking and you're reasonably smart, you can figure most things out. And when I look back on my career, I think the reason I've ended up where I am is because I never said no. And I just would give it a try. And and you figure it out as you go.
1: So what drove you to have that open mind to take on anything?
0: I think... Part, for me personally i think a part of it is the way that i grew up and i grew up in a i grew up in a big family and um, we never had enough we never had enough money we never had enough electricity we never had enough food we never had enough groceries and for me i knew early on i was going to do everything i could in my power to make sure that i never ended up in the same situation that I never had to rely on others, that I, I could make my own way and that I could support myself and support others if I, if I needed to. And I think that drove me to having an open mind and not being afraid to try new things. Because I think the way that I grew up was a little bit, it was like a bubble. And this was sort of all I knew. And I wanted to I wanted to be different. I wanted my outcome to be different. And I knew the way to do that was to say yes to things that I had no idea about. And I think I've been lucky. You know, I've, I've been fortunate. Sometimes I've been in the right place at the right time. But um, I think it's that that drive and that, that not having fear to just try something that you're just not sure about.
1: Interesting. And so 12 years later now, how would you describe your journey at canaxis
0: so when i first started at canaxis we were about 120 employees uh, we we're maybe in four countries and and most of our employees were in ottawa and canada um, so it was a very small and very different company and we were also privately held at the time um, so the Canaxis has been around since 1984 and, and frankly for a very long time it was a pretty small company it was successful but I would say mildly successful, like just kind of going along and and sort of growing a little bit, but not too much. And we compete with some of the biggest companies in the world. We compete with um, SAP and Oracle and Infor and and JDA. And we're this tiny company in Canada and we had all these amazing customers. And I just knew we could be so much so much bigger and so much better. Um, in 2014, we had two things that really changed for us at CanAxis. One of them was we went public. So we went public on the TSX. And all of a sudden, all of our financials were public. And that helped us compete against these big giants. Um, the other thing that happened was we showed up and the Gartner's magic quadrant in the leadership category. And all of our competitors were like, we were in an island, like as the true leader and everybody else was below us. And that those two things happened in the same year within a few months of each other. And when I look back, that's what changed Canaxis. And that's what changed our growth. So we're just over a thousand employees. We're in 21 countries, we're publicly traded. Um, we've acquired two companies. And it's just been a ride. It's It's been amazing. And the thing that I love the most is that when I started at CanAxis at 120, our culture was really awesome. And even now at 1,000, that same culture still exists. And... That's why I've stayed there 12 years. I don't, I usually get bored so quickly and I've never worked anywhere more than two or three years. And so Kanaxis being 12 years is different for me. Um, and a big part of that has been has been the culture.
1: That's amazing. And how would you describe the culture?
0: So really, I think our overriding theme to our culture is that people matter at Kanaxis. I have a CEO who really gets the strategic value of HR, which makes my life a lot easier. Um, And he genuinely cares about how we treat our employees and how we we treat our people. So our our overriding theme is people matter at Canaxis. And we have a set of six core values that we live by. You know, we hire on these core values. These are values that we expect to have in every person that works at Canaxis. Um, And then what, what those values sort of cascade into is three promises that we make our employees. One is that they'll have challenging work Two is that they'll work with great people, and three is that um, what they're working on will have a global impact. And those are sort of our—that's sort of our employee value proposition, if you will—that we promise all of our employees um, that they'll get by working at Canaxis. So it's a very open environment, very collaborative, very helpful. Um, you really feel like everybody's working towards the same goal, and that hasn't changed. When when we were 120 people, it was like that, and and it's still like that now. It wasn't by accident, right? And it wasn't easy. And especially as you grow so quickly and you you absorb new com- companies, you have to be really careful about it. You have to be intentional and deliberate. Um, but I'm really pleased that we've been able been able to do that.
1: And so I think that's a pretty unique um, aspect of, of what you've been involved in compared to some of the other guests that we've had on the hide on the show. So from uh, an acquisitions perspective. What are the actions that someone can take to ensure that you don't have a culture misalignment when you are acquiring a company?
0: Yeah, you know, that's a great question, Cassie, because I think um, a lot of if you look at the stats, I think it's something like 78 percent of acquisitions fail. Like they don't recognize the value of that acquisition. And um, in my experience, the biggest risk factor is that culture. So you have to remember when you're acquiring a company, those people didn't interview with your company. you know. And in our case, you know, if you're buying a startup, as an example, and you're not a startup, they interviewed with that startup. And there's something about working for a startup that a lot of people love. They probably don't love that they might miss payroll or they don't know if there's going to be layoffs. So There are good things that the acquiring company can offer. So you've got to communicate what those perks are, what the benefits are, the stability um, that I think a lot of people are looking for, especially if their company was sort of in a distressed state. Um, But you really have to make sure through your due diligence process that the cultural alignment is there. You're never going to find a company that's 100% the same culture as you. It doesn't exist. Um, but you've got to make sure, in my opinion, that the values, the core values are similar um, because if they're not, it, you're never going to keep those people. so you're gonna acquire this great company full of great talent and they're gonna realize quickly that what what this big company they joined is just not what they signed up for. And um, so to me, it's really through the due diligence, you have to be so careful. And you really have to get to know the company and the culture, talk to different people and make sure what's being presented to you is actually what is. And, and that's the hard part because in acquisitions, you know, it's a very small group of people in the beginning that's involved in case it goes sideways. So you're sort of relying on others to, to see, is the culture what they're saying the culture it is?
1: And is there anything that you do actively to ensure that you continue to build on that culture that you have at Canaxis, that's maybe unique?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, like I said, it wasn't intentional and it, or it, it was intentional and it was deliberate. It wasn't by accident that we've been able to keep this culture. Um, so one of the things that we did uh, last year was we actually hired a company to help us define our culture and help us articulate our culture and also help us recognize what do we need, what's what's some aspirational parts of our culture that we need to have for us to get to a billion-dollar company, right? Because there are a lot of great things that were part of our culture when we're 120 that we can't do even now at 1,000. And that was a really, really great, um, it was a really great exercise for us. But one of the things, or some of the things that we always do, I, I mentioned those six core values. So, My recruiting team knows what those values are and they hire to those values as best they can. Um, And then once people are hired, you know, our rewards and recognition is uh, all about our values. Our promotional process, we look at our values. Is that person, sure that person might be a great performer, but do they live our values? Because if they don't, they're not, well, if they don't, they're not gonna be on our payroll for very long. Like we really, really hold them near and dear. And, you know, we'll invest in people and we'll train them. But core values, it's something like like you have it or or you don't. Are you somebody who's self-empowered? Are you somebody who believes that you're stronger together as a team? Or are you somebody who believes that you're better, you know, you're stronger as an individual? If you're stronger as an individual, you probably wouldn't love working at CanAxis and you should probably work somewhere else. So I think we've made sure that our core values are part they're almost like the fabric of all of our programs. And from the beginning of the candidate relationship through to retirement, we make sure these are woven in. And I think that really helped us make sure that it's a culture that's living, breathing, evolving, um, and is true. Like we've I think we've all worked for these companies where, you know, you walk past the wall and there's like, here's our core values and they don't even resonate. Like that doesn't, what's on the wall does not equal the company that you live in every day. And I think we've done a really good job of being open and honest about who we are and who we aren't and making sure we promote that. And um, and, and it's just, a it's sort of a constant. Yeah,
1: I think it's amazing that you think about the moment that a person joins access to the moment they retire. I think most people think, Oh, if I get two years out of this person, that's incredible, right? So yeah. what are you doing to, to develop those, those people as they progress in their career?
0: yeah so that it's a it's a good point because a lot of you know we have long tenure our average length of tenure I think right now is about 6.8 years which in tech is um, a lot that's long um and I know in other industries it's like that's nothing but in tech it really is a lot and and my former companies I've worked for it's like yeah you're lucky if you get two years out of people um so we do develop people like we believe in in growing careers and growing people. And we believe in investing them. Now we're really fortunate because we're financially, we've been successful. So, you know, we're a SaaS company that has really strong revenue growth and really strong profitability, which is really hard to get. So I fully recognize we're in a great position financially, so we can afford to invest in our people. We've got a great training and development program. Um, you know, we, we really want to help. We've got career paths and ladders and we help people sort of figure out where they're at and what they need, where are their gaps. So how can we help them get from point, you know, level one to level three or whatever it is. Um, and we just believe in investing in our people. Like we've seen it. It's a, it's a software company. It's our, our you know the cliche, biggest asset is your people. It's all in their heads. It's the, we hire really smart people, and that's what makes our products so great. That's what makes our marketing so great. That's what makes our HR so great. So, if you're going to hire really smart people and not invest in them, like just don't hire smart people. It, you're wasting mm-hmm. your money, right? They're going to go somewhere else. So we've just recognized that you've got to invest in the people and um, also recognizing that growth isn't always upwards, right? It can be lateral. It can be, um, it can be expanding scope or, you know, taking on different teams or different projects, stretch projects, and it's not always going to be lateral. And, um, I think, I think we've done a good job in, in doing that. And that's why people that's part of the reason that people stay so long at Canaxis, right? You've got mm-hmm. a great culture and then you've got a company that's going to invest in you and you're working on really tough projects and it's challenging with great people. Like, I don't know. I mean, it's, I'm very fortunate. I, I love working at Canaxis. I think we. it's not perfect. There's lots of things that we need to do better and differently. But um, from a culture standpoint and from a people standpoint, I think we've done a really great job.
1: I think the 10 year, like that's incredible. Six plus years out of someone is, I mean, that's unheard of in tech, right? But, um, I'm curious that like, that's a great lagging metric, but you know, to wait six years to understand if you're having improvement in that metric, are there any other ways that you're monitoring or tracking whether, you know, there is success, um, among some of those, those programs and ways that you, you continuously improve People within yeah. the organization and support so them?
0: That, Yeah, that I think that, I don't know that we've fully figured that out. To be honest, Kessie, um, but um, one of the things that we do track is um, something called positive internal mobility, and basically that is what percentage of our employees are either getting promoted every year and or getting transferred, so transferred to a different department, to a different role, and it's not just a change in title you know, what's a, it's, it's a true, um, it's a true different job that they're doing. And our goal is uh, 15% of our employees. Um, So that's the goal that we shoot for. And it's only this year, we actually started measuring it. And and right now we're on track for that, um, which is great because you've got to give people different experiences to keep them engaged and to keep them learning. Um, So that's one way that I'd say we use metrics to track that. Um, I guess another way Although it would be, uh, it's kind of at arm's length. Like it's not a direct metric. It would mm-hmm. be your um, engagement scores, and then also, of course, your retention. So, what does your retention look like? And we're we're running really well. Like our our, our attrition rate is is generally um, voluntary and and involuntary. You know, ten percent around there, and and I think for our industry, it's around fifteen percent. So. That also tells me that if people aren't leaving, and again it's indirect, but if they're not leaving, then they feel that we're investing in their career, is growing, and they're making an impact.
1: Amazing, yeah. I think it's. I mean, it'll be interesting to see that uh, metric in one year time, and mm-hmm. uh, and to see how how it progresses. But I mean, I'm sure with that lagging bet metric being so strong, it's going to be just as strong, or even stronger. Um, So have you seen, I guess you've seen a direct benefit linked to employee growth at Kanaxis. And I'm sure, you know, you're, you are a perfect example of that as someone who has, has become, you know, one of the most senior leaders in the organization.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, I didn't start out, I didn't start out as their CHRO. I think, what was my title when I started? I think it was like, I don't even remember. It was was it maybe it was director of HR, but like, or senior HR man, I can't remember. I was head of HR, but it was very different. I was reporting into the CFO who's a great guy, but HR, in my opinion, if it's going to be strategic, should not be under finance. Um, you know, and I had one person on my team, there were two of us in HR. So I did all of the work, like I did everything. And, um, yeah, so it's really, so that, that's a perfect example of how, I think now on my team, I've got 27 HR people mm-hmm. <laughs> in like wow. four different countries. And, um, you know, I do a lot of work with our board of directors, with our, our compensation committee, a little bit with our nomination and governance committee, and, and a little bit with audit. Um, but mostly compensation. So um, and, and mainly I work with our executive team because I've got other people on my team that are managing the HR programs that are managing the recruitment um, and that are managing the other business units. So even though I'm kind of I started as the head of HR and I'm still the head of HR, um the scope that I do is so different and um, the impact and um, the job, like the job is night, the job is night and day. It's, it's really changed. Mm -hmm. So I, I, yeah, I think you're right. I think that's a really good example of, uh, yeah, I guess I'm a good example of sort of that progression and, and, and how we, how we do that at Canaxis.
1: And any advice that you can give other HR leaders that, that are, You know, looking to grow with a company because I think it's pretty exceptional for it. A lot of people think about okay, you have a founder that grew with a company and they remained as the CEO from you know one when it was just one person to thousand plus employees, and you know you continue to to grow in your career from from about a hundred employees to a thousand plus through an IPO through you know a pandemic and uh, also through the beginning of the financial crisis right in 2008. So um, any advice you can give to to young HR leaders that are starting their, their careers and looking to grow with the company?
0: Yeah, I mean, it probably goes back to that, what I said at the beginning is that just don't be mm-hmm. afraid and don't say no to things. I mean, You've got to know your limits. Obviously, if somebody said, "Hey, Megan, like, can you operate on this person?" I would say, "No, I can, cannot operate on somebody." Um, but just don't be like you—you you won't know if you can do it until you try it. I remember my first—the uh, first time I became like an HR manager. Um, I was just an HR advisor working for a great person, um, but she didn't get along with the CEO, and so the CEO fired her and, and gave me her job, and suddenly. Like I've got like three years experience. I'm the HR manager for a startup of 74 employees. I have no idea what I'm doing, but you just figure it out. And, and you know, I realized I didn't, I knew my limitations and I networked and I leaned on others who I respected. Um, so I think don't say no. And then the other thing is get some mentors. Like, I think they're so important. You can learn so much and people in general, I think people are really happy and excited to share their experience and their lessons learned. So if you get some mentors, I think that also really can help you. And I know for me in my career, it's been super important. And then I try to give back by, I think it's important to be a mentor, but also to get a mentor. I think both of those um, things are really important. So I think those are, yeah, I mean, that would be my big advice. Big advice. And then I think the other piece of advice when you start leading a team, that's always a little bit hard because uh, you're used to doing everything. But just recognize that if somebody does it differently than you would do it, it doesn't mean it's wrong. And I know for me, that took me a few years to really let go and 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 figure that out. But just because they do it differently, it's okay. And maybe it's better than your way. Maybe it's a little bit worse. But as long as it's not. Bad. It's not wrong, and so when you become a new leader, that's a that was a good lesson for me, and, and I wish I'd figured that out sooner. Um, but I think yeah, you just have to recognize they're not going to do it exactly the same as you, and that's going to be okay.
1: Great advice. Uh, so we'll, we'll we'll go ahead with the quick fire round now. So just first thing that comes to mind, I'm going to ask you five quick questions. Okay. So number one, what is your favorite culture related resource?
0: Okay, so this is like people are gonna say that's so old and maybe I'm showing my age um, but honestly my favorite even today and I still love it is the Netflix culture deck like like it's amazing. I love it. I had the opportunity to meet Patty McCord in person. I had lunch with her um, I was doing this program at Stanford, which was a great experience. And she came to our class to talk and she like wrote this culture deck. Um, and she just, she happened to talk to our class right before lunch. So she stayed for lunch and I like made sure I set table. Um, it's amazing. It's like, it's, she's like an anti HR HR person. And and her, her golden rule is like hire adults, treat them like adults. And if they don't like that, act like adults, like fire them. And it it just like, no bureaucracy, no bullshit. And she was just like, think of the business. Like you're, you're not here to make people feel happy. You're here to run a successful business. If you run a successful business, you invest in your people, they'll be happy, but you don't need the rules and policies and guidelines. There's so much stuff in HR. That's useless. It's so useless. And um, so her culture deck or the Netflix culture deck um, is like my all-time favorite cultural resource I would say.
1: So you might have answered my next question, but which people leader would you most like to take for lunch?
0: So I would like to spend more time with Patty, but since I already I don't want to get greedy, I actually you know who I'd really love to spend to go out for lunch with. If there's one person, it would be Jerry Schwartz. He's the CEO of Onyx and he's not necessarily known for like his people leadership, but he's just such a great business person and he's Canadian and he's self-made. Yeah. If I could have lunch with any business leader, it would be Jerry Schwartz
1: for sure. Single piece of advice you would give to a new people leader.
0: Okay. I'm going to reuse what I said. Just because your people are not doing it exactly like you would let it go and just be okay with that and just recognize that they're doing it differently and it's totally okay for that to happen.
1: Favorite team building activity?
0: So this is gonna sound a little bit weird, but I actually think that, this is gonna sound weird, teams that eat together um, have this bond. Like I really, (laughs) it's not an activity, but I think spending time with your team outside of work um, where you can actually like have a nice meal, and talk about things that are are about their person. So not about their work, but it's about their person. Because it's sort of like when you're in the dark days, like you're going through a hard time, say your company is like on the brink of bankruptcy or it's the pandemic or like, who knows what's gonna happen. Um, You need to trust that person who is beside you. And it's really hard to trust somebody if you don't know them. And I I just think it's human nature to, the more you know about a person, the more you trust them. And I just I've always found that my closest teams have been ones where we take the time to go out for lunch or go out for dinner, like spend that time getting to know each other outside of work. Um, And so that would be my favorite sort of team building activity.
1: And what do you do when you're not leading people, Megan?
0: Um, I play a lot of tennis and I, um, I like to drive fast cars. I, I really have a penchant for driving fast. Um, I love reading. I, I re- My Kindle is always in my purse. I'm always, always reading. And um, I have a dog. Her name is her name's actually Cassidy. And uh, I spend a ton of time with her too. So those are the things that I, I should meditate. I should go to the gym. But those are the things that I enjoy.
1: Great, and is there a way that our uh, listeners can can follow you?
0: Well, that's a good question. Uh, like I'm on LinkedIn. I'm not, good. I'm not I'm, I really am, I'm old, Cassie, I'm sorry, I'm really old. So I'm, like I'm on LinkedIn, I have a Twitter account that I use once in a while. Um, I'm happy for anybody to connect to me, for sure. And my contact info is on LinkedIn, so if you wanna reach out to me, I'm happy to connect with anybody.
1: Great, all right, well, thanks so much, Megan. Thanks for being on the Culture Builders podcast
0: no problem thanks so much for having me this was a lot of
1: fun and that was the culture builders podcast to find out more about Hopier and how we help people leaders build a culture of growth and recognition visit Hopier.com. and then make sure to check out culture builders in apple podcasts spotify google podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes on behalf of the team here at Hopier, thanks for listening